Good to see you this morning. And uh, I want to continue from last week. I don't, I don't do this often, uh, especially during the summer. A lot of times during the summer, we have kind of like one-offs that we give for messages. Um, different people are speaking at different times and traveling, and sometimes it's it's hard to, to work together and, and to plan a series, but uh, Pastor Nate kicked us off a couple of weeks ago where we are talking about baptism, and then last week, uh, Dr. Varner asked us this question, and he asked us to reflect on it, and here's the question, what are you for? What are you for? I, I don't know if you've been reflecting on that or not, but it's a, it's a good question to reflect on. What are you for? Last week, if you were here, and don't worry, you don't have to have been here last week to be able to follow along this week. I'm going to uh, say some things that I think will bring you up to speed. But Dr. Varner asked that question, what are you for? And before he kind of got there, what he did is he opened up Ephesians 2, and he presented the gospel, and he kind of preached through Ephesians 2, and he reminded us of what God has done for us. And how we are saved, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And he laid that out and he laid the beauty of that out and the wonder of that out, that we are saved from sin, shame, death, hell, all of that through Jesus and not by anything that we do, but what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so we can look at our past, we can look at our sins, we can look at our shame, we can look at our hurt, we can look at our brokenness, we can look at all of that. And know that in Christ, all of that has been forgiven and all of that has been put behind us. And we can praise God for that. And a lot of us, we know that is what he said. Is we know that that's the case. We know we have been saved from all of that. But then he asked, what are we saved for? Like, do, do Christians know what they are supposed to be doing after baptism? after they have given their lives to Christ and that they have been buried with Christ and have been raised to Christ. And by the way, again, I'm, I'm plugging sermons that I didn't preach intentionally here. Pastor Nate brought it when he talked about baptism. That's one of the best sermons on baptism that I have heard in a really long time. And so if you are contemplating baptism or what that means or whether or not you should get baptized, go back two weeks on our website and listen to that message. You, you, you really need to listen to that message if you're contemplating baptism. He lays it out for us. But Dr. Varner asks, what do we do after baptism? In other words, what is it for after you come out of the water? What are we here for? And then he, he landed in Ephesians 2 verse 10 and he asked us to reflect on it. Ephesians 2 verse 10. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to pick up with me there, you can. It'll be on the screens Here's what it says. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are created in Christ Jesus. Paul gets us to this point where he says that you have been saved by your faith in Jesus, that your, your faith in Jesus is effective for your salvation is effective for eternal life. But not just eternal life, like in the future, but 
life now. And he's saying that you have been created in Christ Jesus. In other words, that you have been recreated. He's, he's kind of doing a play on creation here. When we were born, we were created in Adam. Like there's an old self that you have before you come to follow Christ and before you give your life to Christ and before the Spirit moves in you in such a way that you de- decide to lay your life before Jesus and give it all to him and follow him. And what Paul is saying is that, Josh, you were once in Adam. There is an old Josh, but now there's a new Josh. There is a Josh that was stuck in sin. That There's a Josh that was stuck in shame. There was a Josh that wasn't responsive to the Spirit. But now there is a Josh that is responsive to the Spirit. There's a Josh that's not stuck in sin. There's a Josh that's not stuck in guilt and shame. That there's a new Josh. In other words, there's a new creation. And this new creation is not in Adam. It's not in the old life. It's now in the new life that Christ has prepared for us, that Christ has given us, that Christ has saved us from. It's no longer I that live, but that Christ that lives in me. And this is what Paul is spelling out here for us. That not only is that true about Josh, but that is true about each one of you. And that is ultimately true about the church. If you, if you notice here, what he is doing is he isn't, he isn't writing just to individuals. We point this out all the time. Because I'm not, I'm not just a pastor of individuals. I am. You are an individual who I love and I value. And we're going to get to some of this here on an individual level this morning. But if you look at who Paul is writing to, is he's, he's writing to the church. He says, we are God's handiwork. But he keeps on. The, the we also is connected to created in Christ Jesus. In other words, the, the church, we we are new creation people. We, we are trying to live out collectively this call to have our life in Christ. And that's one of the things that our life is for, is to be lived in and for Christ. And so Paul is, is laying this out, and he says, so we have been created in Christ. And then he goes on, and he says this very clearly. So what is it for? What are you for? What are we supposed to do? It's just to do good works do good works. And we aren't saved by good works, but we are saved to do good works so that good works might take place. And so the immediate question has to be, if that's what we're saved to do good works, we have to ask ourselves, well, what is good? What is ultimately good? And I, I don't know about you, but when I first started going to church, I, I tell you about it I was, as a teenager and um, I was uh, walked into this church as a teen, and they had some weird rituals and some things that they did and some things that they said uh, that I wasn't privy to when I first started going. Let's see how many of you uh, grew up in one of these places. Um, What they would do is every once in a while, the pastor or somebody would say, God is good. I see see you're in one of those places. (laughs) Yeah, you're with us all the time. Yeah, you see that. So you get it. So we know that God is good. God is, well, what makes God good? What, why would Christians say God is good all the time and all the time that God is good? Well, we know God is good because he has loved us through Jesus Christ. That God has came in the person of Jesus and he, he performed miracles. He loved people. He touched people. Other people wouldn't touch. He was with people. Other people wouldn't be with. He called people to follow him that other people didn't want any business following him. But then he goes to the cross and he dies on the cross for our sins, but this is, I mean, this is God. This is God's son, but this is 
God, and he's working in the spirit, and he dies for our sins. He spends three days in the grave, and he rises again so that we know that we can have eternal life, and eternal life is our destiny. And so we, we know that God is good, and God is good all the time. We know that for that reason. But I, I want us to turn our attention here today, this morning, as we reflect on this text, to the first thing that the good God calls good. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to the first page of your Bibles, not the appendix, the page after that, Genesis 1, Genesis 1. Now, the verse 1 says, in the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then I I want us to start in verse 2, though, here for a very specific reason, and I hope you'll kind of see it. In verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. Now, the creation story is a really interesting story when you really begin to read it and, and when you read it against other creation stories. There are other creation stories. We're going to get into that in a, in a moment, very briefly. But what is happening when you really study the text, you discover and, and you look at the themes throughout the Old Testament is what God is doing here is he's creating this kind of tabernacle that he's going to dwell in, that his, his, his presence is going to dwell in. He's creating the earth because that's going to be his dwelling place. That's where he's, he's going to live. That's where he's going to be. That's where his spirit is going to permeate. And as he does this, he begins to create in an orderly way. And, and this is intentional. We see him create the, the earth and the land, the seas and the skies. We see here at the beginning that he is infusing light into darkness and he's separating them. And as he does all of this, there's this refrain that keeps happening over and over again, and and many of you know it. What God does is he continues to say after he creates and he orders things, he says that it it is good. It is good. It is good. And what I want us to see here this morning is the first time God says that it is good. Well, what God does as he says that it is good is he looks into what is formless, what is empty, what is dark. What if you study the text and, and you really look at some of the Hebrew and what's going on, what is possibly chaotic. And what he is doing is he in, he's infusing light into it. He's bringing order to it. And if you notice here in the text, God doesn't actually say the darkness is good. God only says that the light is good. I, I've been reflecting on that. God says the light is good. He introduces light to emptiness and darkness, to formlessness, tohu of ohu in the Hebrew, which means nothingness. I, I don't have to tell you what it's like to live a life that you think is characterized by emptiness and darkness. You know what I mean 
when I say that. You know what it feels like when your life is empty and dark and your world feels that way. Well, right at the very beginning, God speaks and spirits and brings about light and darkness. Why is this important for us? Because Genesis 1 very much so is a counter-narrative to other narratives, other creation narratives. This creation narrative goes back to the very beginning. But from what we can tell, this is not the first creation narrative that was written. And what God is doing here and what God does is miraculously give his people a different narrative. A different understanding of who God is and what God is doing. What God does is he gives them a different truth. A better truth about the reality of the situation, about the world. And what he is trying to tell the people then and what he would have us to know now is that our world and our lives are not defined nor near, do they near, need to be defined by emptiness, by chaos, by disorder, by purpose, purposelessness, or by darkness. You see, in the ancient world, what they believed is there were gods that controlled the world and that created the world. And it was just chaos. They didn't care about anything. And in fact... They were annoyed by people. <laughs> well, we were kind of their offspring, but they were annoyed by us. And basically everything that happened to people was just by happen chance. And we just kind of received what happened to us, and we had no control over the world around us, and there was no ultimate plan or purpose or anything. Things just, just, just happened to us. We had no control, and that God was not in our midst, and that was just going to be chaotic, and that's the way it was. And in general, what was over us? did not like us, generally annoyed by us. And what happens is that God gives us the truth. And the truth is so much better than that. The truth is that God cares about order. That God cares about bringing light. And when we get to Genesis 2, or, the, or excuse me, the end of the creation story, what we discover is that God create, continues to create, he continues to create, and he continues to say that it's good, and he gets to people. And what does he say about people? He says they're very good. He says they're very good. In other words, if you feel like your life is meaningless, if you feel like your life is purposeless, what God is doing is he's showing up and he's saying, no, that's not the case. That's not reality. That's not who I am. And that is not who I created you to be. You're not for the chaos. You are not for the emptiness. You are not for the darkness. I did not create you for that. I created you to give you light, and to give you life, to be good. And you ask what you're for, to be good, in a very real way, in our lives, it means receiving that, but it also means giving that. It means that we are going to restore meaning to people's lives, that we're going to restore value to people's lives, that we're going to shine God's light on people's lives. 
when Jesus establishes his church, he assumes, by the way, that this will be a reality. He assumes that this is what we'll be doing. And he calls us light. Look at Matthew with me, Matthew 5, verse 16. He tells the church this. He says, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He uses that image of light, that we are to shine on others and so that our good deeds may glorify God, so that others will see not just what we're saved from, but what we're saved for. And we will be acting in the light and walking in the light, and we will bring life and light to other people. And our God, or our job is to continue to do those sorts of things. I often am asked, uh, like, why is the church important? I think, that's a, I think that's a question, too, that just kind of young people and just people in general are asking right now if we're reading. And it's a legitimate question. And I, I guess there's a whole bunch of different ways to answer it. And I think one of the ways that people want to hear um, that being answered are kind of like, what are, the, what are the things, what are the tangible things that the church is doing in people's lives? Like, how are they, how are they helping people physically? And that's a legitimate question to ask. Like, how are we helping people materially grow and thrive? And how are we helping their families and all these sorts of things, the poor, the hurt, and the broken? Uh, those, are, those are good questions. And those are questions that need to be answered. And, and so, you know, I, I tell them, like, within our church, we, we have a ton of people that sponsor people from Children of Promise, and we partner with them. We have Operation Love. Um, we have the Christian Center, Indiana Ministries, Outfitters that we support. We have people that, sit even, that even work for these organizations and sit on their boards and all of this. We collect school supplies for kids and teachers. Uh, we send shoeboxes overseas during Christmas time. There's, there's things that, that we do that are, that are wonderful and great. And when you think about the larger church, uh, the, the church at large, Christians in general, they're just more generous than other people, most not-for-profits and uh, organizations that help support the poor, the hurting, the broken. Um, believe it or not, most of them are run by Christians. Christians, on average, give somewhere to twice as much, to about four times as much, to charity, all of those sorts of things. And you can talk about all of that. People don't believe you, so it doesn't really matter. Um, uh, you, you, you know, and, and so, but like all those things are doing, and the church is, is doing all of that. And I, I think all of that is wonderful, and the church is, churches can need to continue to do that. But as you look at the culture, Dr. Varner brought this up last week, is that our, our culture is just becoming more and more nihilistic. We are searching for meaning. We are searching for purpose. And I, I think so many people, so many people need to hear and need to be a part of a church and follow a God that gives them meaning and purpose and guidance and community. I think we are looking for people and places that are helping us to distinguish light from darkness. I'm not going to give you the statistics that Dr. Varner gave us last week. But meaningless is pervasive among our culture. We are living in empty and dark places, and people are lost. I think more and more the church's role is to invite people in and say, hey, I, I don't have all the answers, but I know where the light is found. I, I, I know what Jesus has done for me. 
I, I know what my life looks like when I follow Jesus. I think pointing people towards this is so important. A few weeks ago, I told you um, that nine million men, nine million men uh, are just sitting on the sidelines, like working age, healthy men are, are sitting on the sidelines, basically just they don't, deciding they're not going to get into the workforce. They just kind of have given up. These, these, aren't, these men aren't counted in like the unemployment statistic. A- after that message, I had somebody come up to me and say, Josh, I'm one of those men. I'm one of those men who's given up. What can I do? People are searching and people are looking and God is working and God is calling and we have to make sure that we are inviting people into this and that we are living into what are we for. Let me ask you that question one more time. What are you for? What is your life for? In a very real and simple way, I will tell you that you were created to be good. Now I know it drives some of you crazy because you want to know like exactly what that means. Like what does that mean for you? You know, God doesn't spell that out specifically for you. But for each and every person in this room, what he does want you to know is that darkness does not have to define you. Meaningless does not have to define you. You are not a mistake. And if you think you're a mistake, and if you, you, you think God does not have a plan, and or, or, or not, maybe a plan isn't even sometimes the right way to say it, maybe a, a role for you to play, to drive out the darkness in this world, you're fooling yourself. You're wrong. It's not true, especially if you're in Christ. It's the beginning of the verse, chapter 2, verse 10 of Ephesians. For we are God's handiwork. You are not a mistake. You are uniquely created, and you have value. You were created in the image of God. You have an infinite worth and value, and God has created you to do good. What good? What are you for? I want you to think about that. Last week, um, you know, like I said, uh, Dr. Varner, he did a lot of the heavy lifting. and um, I tell our speakers they're on a time limit. Um, and so he got to the end, and he, we had just a little bit of time to think about what we are for. What are you for? And so my, my goal today is to give us some more time to reflect on that, even work through that, and kind of write some of that out. Now, what I'm about to do here, um, I've never done from the pulpit, I've done in, in kind of a class before, and it's just kind of a, it's a much longer class than what I'm doing here today. But I'm going to ask you to take those cards. These cards weren't stolen from Anderson University. Uh, <laughs> these cards were purchased at Meyer. Uh, and um, I'm going to, we're, we're going to kind of work through this uh, this morning. We're going to write, we're going to do something called um, writing a personal mission statement. And here's, here's what I want you to know kind of as you write this, um, is that God has created you in his own unique way. We as a church have a mission statement. Our mission statement is to love God, love people, and make disciples. I hope that all of you will get on that mission in your own unique way. I also know and believe, and we teach this in Discover class, that God has created you and wired you in your own unique way. And so I want you using those own unique ways 
to help us reach our mission here as a church to make sure you are loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now, I'm going to define what a mission statement is here for you and tease this out a little bit, and then we're going to go through like a little exercise here together. And so there should be pens in the back of the chairs in front of you, on your chairs. If you don't have a pen, um, you can use your phone. Just tell the people that are texting you you'll get, you're at church. They should be there too. Uh, so here's what a mission statement is. A mission statement is a broad, brief summary statement of what you are supposed to be doing. A broad, brief summary statement of what you are supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be doing good works. Now, before we kind of get into this, here's what I want you to know. Don't put too much pressure on yourself right, to get this exactly right. But, but here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be writing a statement that helps us define who we are as a person, identify our purpose, and briefly articulate who you are and how you should live it out. We want to provide you with a sense of direction, a target to aim at, where you should be focusing most of your energy. It answers kind of the what question in your life. What am I for? What am I supposed to be doing? What do I believe is God's intent in my life? What does God want me to accomplish? And so to get there, before we start writing, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take you uh, through three lists that I want you to make on that paper. And I'm going to have Mimi kind of kind of just play behind us, just pad behind us um, as you think about this. Hopefully you can, sometimes it kind of gets you in the mood to think and be a little more creative here. But so here's three questions before you write your mission statement. Don't write your mission statement because I want you thinking about these three questions first because it helps you think about who you are and how God has uniquely wired you and created you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to list first, list your most obvious skills, abilities, and spiritual gifts if you know them. You know your obvious skills and abilities. Don't be ashamed of them if you're like, or don't be, hum, don't, don't be super humble right now, I guess I should say. If you have skills or abilities, write them down. If you're with somebody and um, you're not sure what your skills and abilities are, album what are my skills and abilities if you don't know their skills and abilities make it up people make people feel good about themselves right now God's handiwork write down your skills and abilities spiritual gifts if you know them uh, you may want to answer it like this or write these things down I am I I am at my best when I am at my best when you're doing whatever that might be The second question I want you to think about, and I want you to list, are your most obvious personality traits, your most obvious personality traits. You can maybe complete this sentence. I feel alive when I am being. I feel alive when I am being. Now, I'm giving you some examples here of this. If you go to the next slide, you can kind of see the examples you need some examples, but your most obvious personality traits. Just go ahead and write them down. 
third, list what you are most passionate about. List what you are most passionate about at the moment. Now, there are no right or wrong answers to this right now. Just list what comes to mind. Maybe complete this sentence. The most important things in life are. The most important things in life are. List what you're most passionate about. Now, here in a moment, we're going to write our, our mission statement with these things in mind. You can continue to write if you need to. The mission statement is a broad, brief summary statement of what you're supposed to be doing. I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to share mine with you just so you're, uh, you're not afraid to try one yourself. And by the way, this can change throughout the years. You can tweak this or whatever. And so don't feel like, man, you said you're a wordsmith. This is going to drive you nuts to have like a few minutes to get this right, I'll just tell you uh, that. Um, my goal for you is not to write the perfect mission statement this morning, but to be contemplating what are you for and to be thinking about that and to get that in front of you by the, by the time you uh, leave this morning. And it may even change throughout the years. Mine has tweaked and changed uh, that I write. But here's mine just to give you an example. I am a Christ-centered leader known for helping others follow Jesus and living meaningful life. I wrote that before that sermon was preached last week. Um, beginning with my family and friends. And I want you just to see a, a few things on here as you write yours. One, it's in the present tense. And I'm just claiming that I am a Christ-centered leader known for help, whether I am or not. Uh, I don't believe I do that perfectly, but in the same way that I am created in Christ. <laughs> right? I, I know that my life doesn't look exactly like Jesus right now and all the time but but that's still a reality that that i have but it's also reality that i have to live into i'm not completely there yet all the time the same thing with this mission statement this is who i want to be this is what i want to be known for and this isn't naming or claiming this is just i'm i'm naming it so i can live into it basically here so i am a i'm a christ-centered leader i i would tell people for years um, I always thought, like, you don't tell people you're a leader. <laughs> you don't claim to be a leader. You either, be, you either are or you aren't. But what I've discovered is that I'm a leader. When I was uh, a young kid, I was our class president all the way through. I was captain of pretty much every sports team that I was a part of. You know, I was always put in positions of leadership. So I'm going to claim it. Like, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, a lead, I'm a leader. So I'm going to lead in areas that God has given me uh, places that, that, that I can lead. I'm going to do it. And, and so when I told you to write down, like, who you are, and all, the, I, I mean it. Like, go ahead and just, like, know who you are. God has made you who you are on purpose. Like, claim it. And then 
And then I, I said, he's like, I'm going to do this first within the confines of my family and friends. Why? Because to be honest, they're the most important things to me. I, I mean, like you strip everything away from me. I have, I have Christ, but what I'm going to hold on to the best I can uh, are my family and friends. If I'm not leading my own family, if I'm not leading those people closest to me well, it doesn't matter how well I lead you in my, in my view. It, it really doesn't. And so that's, that's why this is, this is my mission statement. One of the things that you can see, too, is there's nothing about being a pastor on here. And, and that's okay for me. Like, I, I believe that I'm called to be a pastor, and I love being a pastor. But even if God takes this position away from me or whatever, I can still do that. And I do this as a pastor. You know, and so this is what I get to do as a pastor. So this is just an example for you all this morning. I hope that, that you know that I believe that God can infuse meaning and purpose into your life. You are his handiwork. And so as you write your mission statement, I'm going to ask that you write your mission statement now. Uh, Mimi's going to kind of play. She's going to sing and play, but you don't have to. You can stand and worship if you want, if you don't already have your mission statement written or maybe you already have one. Um, but spend some time writing this mission statement, and I'll kind of come back up and, and close this here. But I wanted to give us some more time this morning uh, to, to spend some time answering that question. What am I for? What am I for? Go ahead.